0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littner, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. In this past week I was thinking about the different avenues and the different methods of communication available to us in this technological age in which we live. They are certainly impressive and wonderful And great tools for good and seemingly changing every day, if used properly. That also got me to thinking about the most important avenue of communication that Christians have. And it has nothing to do with technology, doesn't cost a thing, never needs repair, and is the most effective of all. It got me to thinking about the line of communications that we as Christians have with our Father in Heaven, through the Lord, Jesus Christ. I'm talking about prayer. To begin, I want to look at two parables, both of which are recorded in Luke. While the Lord spoke often of prayer and included it in several parables, these two are the only ones that I know of that deal specifically with that subject. The first is found in Luke chapter 11, and while the parable begins in verse 5, I want us to read four verses that precede it. So we'll start with Luke chapter 11 and verse 1 and read through verse 13. This is what we find. And it came to pass that, as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For one that asks receives, and he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? As you follow along in your Bibles, let's turn now to Luke chapter 18, where we'll read verses one through eight. That's Luke 18, verses one through eight. It tells us, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on earth? These two parables though given at different times by the Lord, are very similar, and each enforces the lessons taught by the other. The point of both was obviously persistence. It soon became apparent to the man who did not want to get out of bed for fear of disturbing his household, that if he did not get out of bed and give his friend what he wanted, they weren't going to get much rest anyway. And if the judge did not want to be bothered and badgered any more by the woman, he needed to give in and give her what she wanted. Taken together, these two parables teach us a great deal about prayer. They don't cover every principle involved in prayer, yet from them there are certain clear-cut lessons that stand out and I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these. First of all, let us consider responsibility in prayer. Jesus taught that prayer is not only a glorious privilege, but it is a responsibility. The beginning point of the parable in Luke 18 is that men ought always to pray and not faint. The word ought there can be properly translated as must. Hence, men must pray. Why did the widow go to the judge again and again? Because she was in urgent need and only the judge could supply it. And why did the man run down the street and wake up his friend in the middle of the night? Because he was in need and did not know where else to go. We must pray, for just like the widow and the host at midnight, we have needs that only God can supply. And when we get right down to it, everything we have comes from God. We took the time to read the account of the scene leading up to the parable of the friend at midnight in Luke 11. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Prayer was not an unfamiliar thing to devout Jews of the first century. It was a part of their daily lives. But when they saw and heard Jesus praying, they wanted in their prayers what Jesus had in his. The Holy Spirit through Luke makes it a point to show us how important prayer was in the life of Jesus. The great occasions in the life of Jesus were almost always preceded by prayer. Look with me at Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, the account of the Lord's baptism. The passage says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased. Luke makes the point that Jesus was praying at his baptism when the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Look at Luke chapter 6 verses 12 and 13 where we read, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Before making this singularly vital selection, Jesus spent the night in prayer. Luke tells us that at the time of the great confession by Peter that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus had been praying. That confession in Caesarea Philippi was a pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus. Matthew tells us in his account in Matthew 16 verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem And suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Luke is the only writer to tell us that at the time of the Lord's transfiguration Jesus was praying. As a matter of fact Luke chapter 9 verses 28 and 29 tells us, And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. If Jesus needed the comfort, courage, and strength that comes from prayer, what does that say about you and me? My friends, all great decisions of life need to be preceded by prayer. Prayer helps the Christian to focus and to keep things in the proper perspective. All decisions need to be made with God as the first and foremost priority. Prayer keeps him there. Have you ever had one of those nights that seemed that it would never end and the only comfort you could find at all came from prayer? Sometimes difficulties can seem overwhelming. Prayer helps us to realize that whether the difficulty goes away or not, God is with us. And if we are a faithful child of God, whatever happens, it'll be all right. Prayer helps to give us that comfort and courage. It helps us to tap into the peace of God which passes all understanding which will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. In these parables, Jesus also gave us in capsule form some of the basic requirements or conditions of effective prayer. First, a prayer needs to be definite and direct. The host in the parable went directly to his friend and the widow went directly to the judge. Each made a personal request. That is what prayer is. It is personal and individual. Do you remember the Lord's teaching about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6? In verses 5 through 8 we read, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." In a sense, prayer is the meeting of us with our Father in the seclusion of our closet. It is a confident entrance to the throne of grace. I think of Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16, where the Hebrew writer wrote the following words, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession." For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This does not mean that we cannot all participate in a public prayer offered in services, but it does mean that as we participate, that prayer is personal for each of us. One person may be praying, but it is my prayer as well. It certainly seems that another aspect of prayer pointed out in these parables is the need for it to be definite. Now I recognize that there are things that we should pray for and about that we do not fully know or understand. But shouldn't we make our specific needs and requests made known to God? The man asked for three loaves. The widow asked to be avenged. Prayer should not always deal in just generalities. That can tend to make prayers just mere forms. When we deal with generalities and not specific needs, then there's a tendency to just rattle off phrase after phrase that we use all the time, and they really come to have no meaning for us at all. If I need help with a particular temptation, I need to ask God for help with that particular temptation. If I need help with my family, I need to ask God for help with my family. If I am thanking God in prayer for my blessings, it is going to help me if I enumerate those blessings. It will help me to stop and think about each thing for which I am thankful. I think of what Paul wrote to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, when he wrote, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. Wouldn't it be wonderful to each day individually thank God for some of the brethren in prayer? There's another aspect of prayer pointed out in these two parables, or so it seems to me, and that is that prayer must be sincere. In the parables, both of the host and the widow were absolutely sincere in their petitions. Prayer by its very nature must come from the heart. Prayer is, or should be, intimate communication. In many instances, it is the expression of intense desire, need, and emotion. I remember the Lord in the garden. Luke chapter 22 and verse 44 tells us, And being in an agony, he prayed the more earnestly, and his sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It is apparent that our Lord did not take prayer lightly. With Jesus, it was a vibrant experience. It made a difference in his life. Remember Jesus referring to the son asking bread of his father? A good father will give the son what he needs. But what father would feel obligated to give to his son if it was obvious that it didn't make any difference to his son whether he received it or not? Or think of it this way. In James 1, 5 and 6, James wrote, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. What good is prayer if we do not sincerely believe that God can and will answer? Surely God knows our hearts. He knows when we come to him in all sincerity, with an urgent An honest petition, and willing to do our part to bring about its accomplishment. What good does it do to pray for those who are sick and those who need help if we won't do anything personally to help them? What good does it do to pray for the lost if we are intent to sit on our hands and do nothing about teaching them? God hears prayers of faith, offered in sincerity with a willingness to expend every effort of cooperation on our part unless prayer is offered in absolute sincerity, I don't believe it is truly effective prayer. And surely yet another obvious point, indeed the main point of the parables, is that prayer must be persistent. That host, even though it was late at night, stayed right with it, banging on his friend's door until he got what he wanted. The widow kept after the judge and would not let it go until he responded to her. That's why Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. The foolish sense of those verbs is to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It is not that God needs to be begged, but rather that if man can get what they need through shameless begging of their fellow man, then certainly our lovingly heavenly Father will grant the needs of his children. And finally, prayer will be rewarded. The host at midnight did not go away from his friend's home empty-handed and the widow did not go away without being avenged. Their efforts were rewarded. God will respond. That was the point of the Lord's concluding remark in Luke 11 13. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Did you notice how much more in that verse? The very point is that if all men will respond when requests are made to them, how much more will God give good things to those who ask him? These parables teach that God gives blessing upon blessings to his children who make sincere requests of him. It is true, however, that not all prayers are answered in the way we ask them. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David pleaded with God that his infant son would not die, but he did die. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, besought the Lord that his thorn in the flesh would be taken away, but it was not. The fact is that God is indeed a wise father, and that as long as he is the supreme sovereign of the universe, there will be certain things that we ask for that cannot be granted, and we will not always know why. The wise person recognizes that God knows best, and sometimes we end up thanking God in prayer for not answering a previous prayer in the way that we had prayed it. We can't see the future, really don't understand a whole lot of the past, and only know our own little piece of the present. God alone knows the whole scheme of things. That being true, the most perfect prayer is prayed with the ultimate understanding of not my will, but thine be done. As a close, there is one way that I know all prayers and faithful children of God are always answered, whether we get the specific request we made or not. It is found in the Lord's answer to Paul's request for the removal of that thorn in the flesh. It is so powerfully written in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine, and He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That was the Lord's response. Our response should be the same as Paul's, because that passage continues with the words, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. We are never alone. God is listening. He knows what is best, and he cares. Remember David's words in Psalms 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Words to think about. Thanks for listening.